It was 1862. Maybe just down just a little bit. Whenever I hear my own voice, it makes me just kind of cringe. So. <laughs> It was 1862 when the great French historical novel Les Miserables was published. Excuse my lack of French. I speak Spanish, but not French. But uh, you may know the story. The story was written by Victor Hugo, and it's been adapted into films and musicals over the years. It's a story about many things, history, religion, politics, love, grace, good, evil, and redemption, among other things. And you may remember the story that at the very beginning of the story, a fellow named Jean Valjean is released from a 19-year prison sentence. He had stolen some bread and had repeatedly tried to escape prison, hence the long sentence. One day he was released, and he was a new parolee, and as a new parolee, he knocks on the door of a bishop's house. The bishop welcomes him in for a meal. And Jean Valjean is also invited by the bishop to spend the night. Well, as the evening progresses, Jean decides to steal the bishop's silverware. And the bishop discovers Jean taking the silverware, at which point Jean strikes the bishop. Jean then flees. And not long after this, the authorities encounter Jean with the silverware, and they arrest him. Immediately, they go to the bishop's house to confirm the theft. And when they see the bishop, they tell him that John told them the bishop had actually given him the silverware. And the bishop says, well, yes, of course I gave him the silverware. He did not steal it. And then looking at John, the bishop says, but you should have taken the silver candlesticks too. They're worth so much more. <laughs> and although they don't believe the bishop, the authorities have no choice but to release Jean Valjean. And after the authorities leave, the bishop says to the stunned John, Jean, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I have ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. It's a very poignant and moving scene. And the scene points at something directly, points at something directly that in fact can be one of the most difficult things to do in life. And that is to forgive. Now, I preach on forgiveness repeatedly throughout each year, and I do so not only because forgiveness is all over Jesus' teachings and in the Gospels, but because forgiveness is so central to our faith and our walk with Jesus. And forgiveness certainly was at the core of Jesus' life and subsequent death upon the cross. And because of Jesus, each and every one of us now lives in a state of forgiveness from God. Now, forgiveness is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because sometimes forgiving another person is quite simple and easy. It doesn't require much effort, especially for all the little insignificant things that happen in life. How many of you, I, I can't, but how many of us can really remember being cut off by a car three years ago? Or how many of us remember the person who came around the corner too quickly at the grocery store bashing his cart into ours? Or how many of us really remember the server who forgot to bring the ordered dessert at a meal six months ago. Most people forgive others for the little things, the little insignificant things in life, relatively easily. But sometimes forgiveness is far more challenging, isn't it? Even at times seemingly unthinkable and inconceivable. 
I know I have had moments in my own life when the thought of forgiving someone seemed virtually impossible because the offending action and the perpetrator caused not only great physical harm, but the person did not care about his actions despite massive consequences. And although forgiveness can be one of the toughest things to do or even to contemplate, it is clear in Scripture that if we take our walk with Jesus seriously, forgiveness must be part of what our lives are about. While love is at the heart of Christian faith, forgiveness is simply an extension of what loving God, loving people, and loving ourselves really means. Now in our reading today, Jesus tells Peter that he must forgive others, not just once, but 77 times, or seven times 70 in different gospels. In other words, without limits. And Jesus then uses a real doozy of a parable to highlight a lot of things about forgiveness. In paraphrased form, along with some interpretation, this is what Jesus says in the parable. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who called up everyone who owed him money. Now, the kingdom of heaven means how things should be. So in essence, what Jesus is saying here is, when everything is right and good and whole, when everything is the way that God wants it to be, it will look like the time when a great king called up everyone who owed him money. One person owed the king 10,000 talents. Now, what's interesting about this is that one talent is equivalent to 15 years of wages. 10,000 talents is an inconceivable number. In fact, the annual tax, this is an interesting little fact, the annual tax that King Herod collected from all of his territories was 900 talents a year. One scholar notes that 10,000 talents at that time would have exceeded the entire tax base for Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, and Samaria. This guy owed the king a lot of money. <laughs> well, in the story, the debtor tells the king he cannot repay such a massive debt. The king ordered the person and his entire family be sold as a way of beginning to offset the debt. And the debtor falls to the ground and pleads to the king for mercy. And in response, the king took pity on the debtor, canceled the debt, and let him go. Then the one who had been forgiven by the king goes out to collect money from those who owe him. One fellow owes him, as one scholar points out, one six hundred thousandths of what the fellow had owed the king. So it's a minuscule amount in comparison. And the man, just like the man whose debt was forgiven by the king, falls to the ground and pleads for mercy. But instead of forgiving the debt, like the forgiveness he had been given by the king, he instead throws the poor guy into prison. So the one who was forgiven a massive debt, in turn, refused to forgive a comparatively minor debt of another. Now this parable packs a real punch, I believe, especially for those of us that find forgiveness to be a hard thing to do now and then. But Jesus is crystal clear in this parable and in many other places that if we choose to follow Jesus, forgiveness is not an option. Given this, I thought it might be helpful just for a few moments to touch on what forgiveness is, what it's not, and we need to be clear on what it means and what it does not mean. So here are just some brief thoughts on forgiveness and what it means and what it does not mean. 
But first and foremost, forgiveness is a journey. It may take a lot of time. It can take years, in fact, to get to a place of forgiveness. And for very big deal things, forgiveness is never an overnight process, nor frankly should it be. Forgiveness for big stuff is not automatic. We have to work at it with prayer, with support, with intention, and with choice. Forgiveness can be one of the hardest things to do in life. It certainly was for God when God in the flesh hung on the cross and offered humankind forgiveness in perpetuity. Forgiveness is not about forgetting or denying that something has happened. It's not about saying something or some action was okay, because frankly, some actions, no matter how you look at it, are never going to be okay. Forgiveness, however, is all about letting go of anger, letting go of resentment, letting go of hurt, letting go of demanding that the other person make things right. It is all about letting go of the need to get even, and it is all about just releasing all the negative energy around a person or an action taken. One person writes, no matter what reasons we have for being bitter, we can go beyond unforgiving feelings. We have a choice. We can choose to stay stuck or resentful, or we can do ourselves a big favor by willingly forgiving what happened in the past, letting it go, and then moving on to create a joyous, fulfilling life. We have the freedom to make our life anything we want it to be because we have the freedom of choice. And I would add to what this person writes, we have the God-given freedom of choice. When we don't forgive another person, we end up giving another person power over us. Power over our thoughts, because they're controlling our thoughts. Power over our feelings. Power over our actions. It's also important to point out that forgiveness is not about, is not about not holding people accountable. People need to be held accountable. Nor is it about letting go of justice. It's not about letting a harmful action happen again and again and again. And every time I preach on this subject, as I say each and every time, if you're in, a, in, a, in an abusive deal or situation or relationship right now, get out. God wants you to get out, and we at the chapel can help you get out. Forgiving others does not necessarily include going to the other person. In fact, the other person doesn't even need to be present. Forgiveness does not necessarily include reconciliation of any kind. Forgiveness can happen in the person's absence, even if the person has died. Forgiveness is not about the other person anyway. It's really about us and our own hearts. Now, this week at staff, we talked about forgiveness for a while. It was interesting. And Paul said something interesting. He said, forgiveness can be hard. I hope I got it right, Paul. He said, forgiveness can be hard because sometimes we're more interested in justice for others and mercy for ourselves than the other way around. How many of us actually seek justice for our own actions and mercy for others? Sometimes, however, we can't get to a place of forgiveness at the moment. And I believe that is okay because we're human beings. And when we're in that place where we cannot get to forgiveness, 
I think it's so important that we take it to God and we say something to God like, God, I know my life is supposed to be about forgiveness, but I just can't get there right now. I don't know how to. So I've got to turn this all over to you for now, and I have to leave it with you for now. All I can do is hand it to you. All I can do is hand it over to you. All I can do is trust you with this. And I know that one day I need to circle back around to you about all of this. And maybe when we're in a place where we're having a hard time forgiving, we should remember the words of Jean Valjean, excuse me, of the bishop when he spoke to Jean Valjean. Remember the bishop said, now I give you back to God. And so perhaps when we're having a hard time forgiving someone, we can at least do that. God, I give you this person. Now, I need to be clear, I don't have this forgiveness thing down, and I know that there are areas in my life in which I'm going to have to work on forgiveness for a long time, and I certainly don't have all the answers, but what I do know is that Jesus makes it clear where forgiveness needs to start, and that is to acknowledge our own need for forgiveness. Although it's often true we need to forgive ourselves for something and God wants us to forgive ourselves for something, it's also clear that every single human being needs forgiveness from God. What I'm talking about is sin, and sin is when we do what we want instead of what God would have us do. And as I think about sin, I think there are two categories of sin. There's big S, capital S sin, and little s, or lowercase sin. And big S sin is our innate human propensity to put ourselves first ahead of God. It is our inclination to sin. And this is the sin that Jesus dealt with on the cross. And through the cross of Christ, we're forgiven for our sinful human nature, big S sin. And the good news of the gospel is there's nothing we can do to earn or lose God's forgiveness. One person writes, one of the great deceptions of our time is that we assess our moral standing by saying things like, I'm basically a good person. At least I haven't killed anybody. And when we think this way, we are ignoring our shared collective biggest sinful human nature. And the point of this is not to make us feel rotten or terrible or bad, but rather to come to know how loved by God we are despite ourselves. And that we are forgiven and adored by God without bounds, no matter what. God does not want us to carry around guilt. That's what the cross is all about. But then there are all the little s sins, the lowercase sins, the mistakes we make, the harsh words we utter, the way we sometimes let other people down, the anger we hold, the judgment we engage in, and all the little things that we do day in and day out. And when we understand this about ourselves, when we know deep down that we need forgiveness from others for all the little less sins we do, when we embrace that we have been forgiven by God for our biggest sinful nature, then we put ourselves in the position of being able to forgive other people. Said another way, the more we know we need forgiveness, the more we begin to forgive other people. That's the point of the parable today. Had the guy not just realized how much he had been forgiven by the king, but had he taken that forgiveness to heart and known that he really needed it, 
he certainly would have forgiven the man that owed him not very much by comparison. And then you may, you may remember this story in Luke's gospel of a story of a woman who anoints Jesus' feet with oil and his rare perfume. And one person challenged Jesus. And Jesus said, this woman's sins are many and they have been forgiven, so she has shown me great love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. In other words, the woman, because she knew she needed forgiveness and also understood that she was forgiven by God, she was freed up not only to forgive other people, but to love other people. Forgiveness, it's a hard, huge, massive topic. And I know it can sometimes seem like an impossible thing to do. I get that, and I understand it firsthand. But I also know the more that I know I need forgiveness, the easier it becomes to forgive other people. Every week we say the Lord's Prayer. Every week we say, forgive us our trespasses as... Note the order of the words that Jesus teaches us. Forgive us our trespasses precedes the forgiveness of the trespasses of others. Our own need forgiveness and need for it precedes forgiving other people. I believe every one of us here does the best we can in life. I believe all of us here want to be the people that God has made us to be. Yet I know we are all human. And I'm so glad we're on this journey together in faith where we can learn and work on and struggle what it means to follow Jesus and to love God and to love people and to forgive. And I continue to pray all the time that the chapel will be the place where we will forgive each other and will be a place where it is absolutely okay not to be perfect.